Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Triple. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are taking a ride back to the Old West. We are journeying into the world that Vincent loves so much. That would be Westerns. Yeah. And we're doing it for a very specific reason, two very specific reasons. One, because we are going to be using this trip out west to take a look at one of the more recently departed stars of cinema and the world at large in Black America, one Jim Brown, mm-hmm. who stars alongside 60s and 70s probably number one sex symbol, Raquel Welsh, Mm -hmm. and the soon-to-be 70s sex symbol at the very start of his career, one Burt Reynolds, Mm -hmm. in 100 Rifles tonight on the Michaud Mission. But it was not brought to the Michaud Mission by me or Vincent it was brought to the mission by our very special guest, who you may know as one of the stalwart film critics on Film Week on Alias 89.3 in Los Angeles. You may also know him as one of the synagogues on synagogues.com, where he espouses deep felt trysts on the film industry. But if you're a missionary, and who isn't, you know and love him as one of the dulcet tones heard on our recent groundbreaking podcast miniseries. There I said it. There you said it. The class of 1989 missionaries, put your hands together for our friend, Tim Cogshell. Tim. Tim. Can I clap for myself? Is that okay for me to do? Always, always. How are you? I'm doing all right, my brothers, my brothers, my brothers. Uh, doing great. And thank you so much for just uh, having me around here to talk about this stuff. I'm always happy to talk about movies, but particularly happy to talk about black folks in movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Amen. And we're going to talk about them tonight. Talk about Jim Brown, um, one of the more important figures in black history. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. In, in, in many aspects of black history. In many aspects of black history. And, and we're definitely going to be talking <clears throat> more about that and about his career in general. But Tim, I, I, I wondered if you had any s- specific thoughts of your own about uh, Jim Brown, who recently uh, left us. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I had the chance to, to, to meet Jim Brown a few times, a couple of times in my 30 some odd years here in, 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 in Hollywood. But of course, the, the first time I met Jim Brown was watching him uh, play football as a, as, as a very, very young boy. Mm. Uh, and then in, in 19, probably actually this movie, 100 Rifles, that we're going to talk about, came out in 1969. But I think my pops, maybe maybe one of my uncles would have took me to see this at the Thunderbird Drive-In in St. Louis probably around 71, 72 or something like that, when these movies would have been playing in the drive-in, mm-hmm. one of the many inappropriate films my father took me to see. <laughs> That's what dads are for. 
Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> for, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, uh, Raquel Welch being the other one. Mm. Um, uh, Jim Brown, who, who we also recently lost to. Ra- Raquel. That's right. Us, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, long ago. Um, uh, so, so, so Jim Brown there and then uh, coming to Los Angeles in the, uh, in the early 1990s, you know, I would run into Jim Brown just in, in the context of being a film journalist because uh, Jim, Jim worked on movies um, in, until late in life. Jim was in, Jim was in still making movies as late as 2014 or so. You know? I know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. He breaks in there, here or there. But Jim, Jim, Jim never did really, really quit working. Uh, so I, 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 and I probably ran into, I mean, I know I interviewed Jim at the, uh, junket for Mars attacks. I know I talked to Jim on the press circuit for original gangsters. These are all in the nineties, uh, mm-hmm. the middle late nineties or something like that. Um, uh, so, you know, ran across Jim many times. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's just understanding who Jim Brown was in, in, in history, uh, the, in the history of America, the history of black America, uh, fo- uh, football and, and cinema. And, and my thoughts about Jim Brown uh, encompass all of that. Um, a lot of folks, you know, when Jim Brown passed on the day he passed, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion of you know, how it might be a little difficult to talk about Jim Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we, you know, obviously we, we, we can venerate him very easily for his exploits in football and his exploits in cinema. Uh, and, and for that matter, we can add to that veneration his, his exploits as a civil rights activist. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but of yeah. course, Jim Brown, you know, there's the difficult stuff that we need to talk about that had to do with Jim Brown as a man. Yes. In the American culture, uh, from when he was from, Jim Brown was born in 1936, islands off of South Carolina. He's a Gullah Geechee, Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how some of that played out in his relationships with women across the arc of his life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now a lot of people, you know, that's you know, it's a hard conversation. I don't find it particularly hard to talk about it at all. Done. You know, I mean, it's right there. I can see it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can see that. I see, I see all that other stuff, too. Right. So I, right. I, I, I imagine it's, it's a matter of where we are going to put the emphasis and, and how it all adds up and what it all means. And, and I can do these things very easily. So I can I can see who Jim Brown was in all of those contexts. They are all very important to me and they all matter. So. You know, as a film critic, absolutely. You know, I, that's 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 my uh, specialty. But, you know, I'm I, I consider myself to be a historian of the civil rights movement. And I know how Jim, how important Jim Brown was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that the conference that he pulled together uh, when Muhammad Ali uh, was. Yeah, facing that's right. President. Uh, that was Jim <clears throat> Brown. He was, at, he was at the forefront of that. So and I, and I don't want to lose lose track of that importance uh, and the football is the football and the movies is the movies. Uh, but, but that uh, and, and, and some of his behavior when it came to women are the things I think are really the most important things to talk about when we're talking about Jim Brown. Most definitely. Uh, and, and, and then, and then lastly, like I said, Jim Brown, uh, Jim Brown was born in 1936. My dad was born in 1939. My dad was a whole lot like Jim Brown uh, in terms of the, uh, his nature as a man and a black man in America, he carried with him um, mm. all of the weight that, that men from that that era uh, carried with them. Uh, and some of it and some of it came with some behavior, some trained in behavior that was inappropriate behavior, wrong behavior then wrong behavior now. Yes. Uh, yeah. me, the one time me and my dad ever got into it. Was when I, when I when I turned about 13, 14 years old and my dad put his hands on my mom. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and we got into a physical confrontation. So I understand this deep from within. I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of men do. I think a lot of black men do. 
um, uh, so it's not something that I run away from at all. It's a, it's a part of the great family that we have going. And I think if, if there is a problem with it, it would be running away from it. Exactly. Right. Not exactly. Yeah. Trying okay. to bury it. Yeah. No, and, and so I have no interest in doing that at all. I'll say one thing about Jim Brown. He didn't bury it either. Jim Brown, you know, he faced the music. Uh, if Jim Brown acted up and, uh, and he got called on the carpet, he wouldn't, he wouldn't face the, uh, he wouldn't face the music for what he did. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, and which is what uh, makes lot, the difference. Right. It makes a big difference. Bill Cosby has not. Exactly. And I won't and I won't say any more about that. Right, right, right. right. And but there is a difference. Let's get into the show, Vincent. Yes. Um, we have ton just to let everyone know, because we actually got someone sent us an email a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And then sent an email say, hey, did y'all see my did email? Did you see my email? <laughs> it's like, we saw your email. Yes. We're holding off on the emails. Next week, when we don't have a, a guest, we are going to get to all of the emails. Email a palooza. That's exactly. If you want to get in on the email of Palooza, now's the time. Now's the time. So send us some email at michellemission at gmail.com. But before you do, because someone will email about this, we do have something from the corrections department. We do. That's correct. That's right. You remember last week we were talking about True Grit. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that True Grit is one of the few John Wayne movies that I like. Yes. Which means that it must be good because I hate John Wayne. Yes, but True Grit is so good that I like it in spite of John Wayne. And I mistakenly said, because many of John Wayne's films were directed by John Ford, Mm -hmm. that True Grit was also directed by John Ford. And it was not. It was not. It was directed by Henry Hathaway. Henry Hathaway. Henry Hathaway, which kind of makes sense because another John Wayne film on the very short list of John Wayne films that I like is the sons of Katie Elder. Oh yes. With John Wayne and Dean Martin Martin. and a very young Dennis Hopper. Also directed by Henry Hathaway. Get out of here. So perhaps what I like is Henry Hathaway films. Perhaps that is in fact what you like. So, so that gives you the pass on John Wayne. On John Wayne. So it's not that you like John Wayne. Wayne. I like the Henry Henry Hathaway films. There you go. All right. So if you're going to email about that, keep your powder dry. I'm sure I'll screw up again that you can correct. Well, I have sworn off all John Wayne movies. I'm not going to fight you. I I can't watch any Army ones, Marine ones, Westerns. Nothing. Nothing. How about when he was Genghis Khan? Oh, please. And he had to. (laughs) He was Genghis Khan. (laughs) Please. No. I'm here representing the Empire. The Asian Empire, and I am an Asian man. You don't, you don't like that, the Genghis Khan. You know, people always point out Mickey Rooney in um, <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Like they really need to go look. Right, at go Ch- look at John, John Wayne, Wayne is, is Genghis, is Khan. Genghis Khan. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, you know, you know, Burt Reynolds is playing that Yaki Indian in uh, in One Hundred Rifles, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Right, right. At least, at least he leans into. <laughs> My daddy was from Alabama. Yes. Like, that's his, yeah. you know. That's his, that's his. Like, he holds on to that with both arms. 
you know, you know, some of these things are are are, are of a period. Bert, Lan- Bert Lancaster played a Native American. Um, um, uh, uh, um, oh, yeah. um, uh, Charlton Heston, of course, uh, uh, famously. Uh, it, 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 one it, there's there is one moment, and it's interesting because it's near when these movies that we're talking about. Uh, uh, were made. You mentioned True Grit, which is 1969, and in mm-hmm. 69 is also 100 Rifles. And um, little, little, a couple of years later is Little Big Man. Yeah, um, which is Hoffman. the first sort of the first sort of real revival of the quote unquote Western uh, of Hollywood, looking at the way we had treated uh, the Western, the Native American in the Western. And, and and sort of reviving all of that, and and obviously you have Dustin Hoffman playing that role. Mm-hmm. And what is he? Is he is he white or is he an Indian? Well, it depends on who he's talking to, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and and that it's an interesting sort of dynamic as Hollywood begins to do this thing that that it eventually does. Um, that that in some ways kind of begins with One Hundred Rifles, I think. Uh, although most people assign it right to Little Big Man. Yeah, yeah, that's All a good, right. that's a good that's a good point. Well, let's let's get into our stuff so that we can get to the meat. Okay. All right, let's I get into it. Let's get into it. Um and we're going to start things off, ladies and gentlemen, with the top 5. Top 5. Who's your top 5? Five, ladies and gentlemen, where I come to the show with a list, and Vincent and now our esteemed guest Tim Cogshell will give their commentary on said list. And tonight, gentlemen, in honor of this film, 100 Rifles, which features one of the few interracial sex scenes on film at the time. In 1969. It's interesting that this happens in 1969, which for a lot of people is kind of like the first time you're really seeing uh, interracial relationships being fully explored on on screen. Mm -hmm. It's not actually the first time, but the first time Hollywood is like seems to like lean into it a little bit. Sure. And when people start thinking about that, they usually go to guess who's coming to dinner. Of course. From 1967. However, this exploration actually began much earlier in some films that we've actually even talked about here mm-hmm. on the Michelle Mission. I was about to say we've touched on a few. So, in chronological order, okay, and leaving guess who's coming to dinner. And of course, 100 Rifles to the side. I'm looking at five films from the 60s mm-hmm. that explore the black white experience from a black man with a white woman. Okay. And I'm going back all the way back to 1962 mm-hmm. with the noir adaptation of. Othello in All Night Long. All Night Long. Yeah, that's right. Which stars uh which what stars Patrick Magoon, mm-hmm. uh Marty Simmons, Paul Harris, Keith Mitchell, Richard Attenborough, um Betsy Blair in a film directed by Basil Dearden. Um uh, it basically is the story of Othello but with more of a jazz set to like a, a the the world of jazz yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. in in England in 19, 1962. 
a very cool, stylish, very cool film. Very cool film. Yeah. A film that we really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim, are you familiar? Oh yeah, Basil Dearden. Love that movie. Yeah. Um, uh, director and uh, and and a very ridiculously young Richard Attenborough. Yes. You know, yes. Uh, yeah. Also, also that movie. People forget Richard was an actor before he became a director. Before he mm-hmm. became the old man. That was mm-hmm. Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> but he, but he was a really good actor. Yeah, love that movie. Love that movie and yeah. and, and love that it fe- featured um, Dave Brubeck and Charles Mingus. Yeah, I was about to say all those jazz. It's it's really almost an extended kind of. Um, Kind of set, yeah, like a jazz set almost. Yeah, it's like, almost yeah. like an extended set. I, I do think, as as an early depiction, and and we said this during the during our review, that sort of raw sexuality that I think you need for Othello to work, mm-hmm. because of it being a product of 1962, you don't have that part of it in the film. Yeah, in fact. Mm-hmm. Paul Harris and and forgive me, I forget the actress's name who plays the um uh, Desdemona role. I think that is Marty Simmons. Marty Stevens. Simmons. Stevens. Stevens barely touch one another. I know that's the, the other film. thing. Yeah, so but, you don't get the, so so the tension is not really there. Right, right. But yeah, it's it's the the pros very much outweigh the cons with that film. It's it's a cool and you know you can never go wrong with Patrick McGowan. No. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, the secret agent. Um, uh, uh, the prisoner. How about the prisoner? <laughs> Patrick McGowan. Yeah, <laughs> love that. Love Pat. Love Patrick McGowan. I, I, well, I love, I love Secret Agent. I love the prisoner, but to me, Patrick McGowan is always villain number one on Columbo. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's a good pull. It's so, a good pull. I want to be angry at Patrick McGowan played a guy where when the show started, you already knew he did it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, th- so we got all night long. Now we go to number four. Okay. This is from 1964. This is a, this is a film that it, people have actually talked to us a bunch of times, but we haven't pulled it yet. Okay. For the mission, uh, directed by Larry Pierce stars, Bernie Hamilton and Barbara Barry. Well, I'm actually revisiting because I'm doing a deep dive into Barney Miller for some reason. Um, <laughs> It was my dad's favorite show, so that's why I'm watching it, to be honest. That's why mm-hmm. I'm doing it. Uh, from 1964, One Potato, Two Potato. Yeah. A study of an interracial marriage in the 60s. A white divorcee falls in love and marries an African-American man when her ex-husband sues for custody of her child, arguing that a mixed household is an improper place to raise the girl. The new husband fights for his paternal rights in court fighting against a judge who represents the prejudices of the era. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a film that like, like I've mentioned, a lot of people have um, promoted to us as one that we should pull for the mission. Just hasn't uh, pulled that card just yet. Um, But and and sounds like really, really good. Well, it sounds really. And the thing that I like, it's sort of the opposite of all night long. Like I love the fact that the sex part, of mm-hmm. the interracial relationship doesn't seem like it's the main plot. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 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 Bernie Hamilton, of course, would go on uh, to play the captain in Starsky and Hutch. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's Bernie uh, in, in those movies. It, it, it's very structured. Also, if you're watching this film, you will run across a guy, and you're going to think that you're looking at James Earl Jones, but it's not. It's Robert Earl Jones, James Earl Jones's father, oh, who looks yep. 
just like James Earl Jones. <laughs> it yes. sounds just like James Earl Jones. Uh, but Robert Earl uh, was looking and sounding like that first. Wasn't Robert Earl Jones also, isn't he in the sting as well? He absolutely is. Yes. He absolutely is. Absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because because when I'm watching him in the sting, I'm like, is that James Big Brother? James like, is Big Brother. Because, you know, black don't crack. Black so he looked crack. like he could be his big sure, brother. Why not? You know? yeah. <laughs> but but he's you know what? That's interesting that he's his father. Because now I have a counterpart. Oh, there's, a, there's a few of them. Sometimes I get them all mixed up. But yes, I believe that that's his dad. But now, but now I have a counterpart to um, Alan Hale. The, oh, the, uh, from Gilligan. The Skipper. <laughs> okay. Because his father was a noted character actor in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Oh, okay. And every time you see him, he looks just like his, like, so he looks so much like his son and his son grayed early. Right. Mm-hmm. And from what, mm-hmm. from what I understand it, it ran into family, but he looks so much like his son that when I found out that, you know, Alan Hale was in all these movies. Right. And with kind of like gray hair, but still kind of like looking young and then is in um, Gilligan's Island. But it's Alan Hale Jr. Yes. I said, this dude done went and put Junior on his name. <laughs> just to change it. Just so that he just, could get just, just a job re- on TV. <laughs> Just to revitalize his career. Dude, he looks just like his, like dad. his, and, just and, like his daddy. And, he, and you know he's the old dude right, on right, Gilligan's right. Island. Right, exactly. So I'm like, there you go. I think, I think he tried to pull Have you ever seen him in the same place? No. <laughs> and, you don't, and, you, and you don't see Alan Hale Jr. in movies. <laughs> it's just all of a sudden Alan Hale stops being in movies. And Alan and Hale Jr. Alan, is all, now on television. All of a sudden on television. You may have uncovered something. Let's keep going. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to get in trouble with the Hales. <laughs> we don't know why. We don't know why they come knocking on the door later right, right. on this evening. Alan Hale the Third comes in here. <laughs> you, you've 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 uncovered our plan. Uh, Alan Hale the Third has like a podcast empire, <laughs> but like he grays early and it's like, wait a minute. All right, let's keep All it right. moving. Number right. three. Number three. Uh, another movie. That we haven't reviewed. I'm surprised we haven't reviewed this movie yet. It's amazing how many films we haven't reviewed. I know. This can go on forever. I know. But but I'm, I'm we gotta do this one real soon. Okay. From 1965. Uh-huh. A patch of blue. Oh, and you know I love a patch of blue. Yes, I know. Yeah. Technically, that's not an interracial relationship. She likes yeah, it. It's very emotional. It's a very emotional film. She likes uh, it, but he's trying to civilize her because she's a savage. Well, yes, it's a, it's a film about the friendship between an educated black man played by Sidney Poitier and an uh, illiterate, blind, white, 18-year-old girl played by Elizabeth Hartman in her mm-hmm. film debut and the problems that plague their friendship in a racially divided uh, America uh, it was made in, in 65, like we said, against the backdrop of the civil rights movement and explores racism while playing on the idea that love is blind. Oh, mm. I see what they did there. Yes. Uh, Shelly Winters, right? Won an Academy yeah. Award mm-hmm. for Best Supporting Actress yeah. in, this, yeah. in this film. Her second win. Yeah, that is yeah. that is textbook Sidney Poitier, where he's the most civilized person on earth. Mm-hmm. And he's so civilized that he's in charge of civilizing white people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. The great Ivan Dixon also in that movie. Blaze is a brother. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a film that I deeply appreciate. I know, you know, um, in this uh, sort of revisionist um, uh, moment that we're in, we, we look at some of these movies and we put them through a new filter. Uh, and and I, and I suppose that I do too. But but with most of them, with some of them, I come out in the same place. In, in that being that this was still uh, a, a very sophisticated, thoughtful, forward-thinking movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, and, I, and it's real easy to slip that notion of the magic Negro, you know, yes. uh, in, into everything that all black actors ever did. Anyway. No, uh, uh, it's, it's it's not all the same. It's not all the same. And I, I don't. I, I think this and a few others sort of um, um, occupy a separate space. Well, mm. to your point, you know, calling out Ivan Dixon, I love Ivan Dixon's character so much because he's like the voice of Black America. Okay, who's saying to him throughout the movie, "What are you doing, mm-hmm. dude? What you doing walking around with that white girl? Right? Like, <laughs> why are you with this white girl? Like, you know, you're you're you're, you're Sydney Portier. You're educated. You're sophisticated. You're urbane. Like, you have all of this going for you." And we have all of this going for us. What are you doing with this little white girl? Right. So, right. you know, it's not like there isn't some commentary within the film. Exactly. On yeah. Sidney Poitier's character kind of, you know, being above it all. Right. Uh, film directed by Guy Green. To yeah. Yeah. I love a patch of blue. Yeah. One of my dad's favorites. Okay. Also in 1965. <clears throat> We have another film based on Othello. Mm-hmm. This one is called Othello mm-hmm. uh, and features Maggie Smith in the uh, Desdemona role, uh, Frank Finlay, um, who both received Academy Award nominations. And in the role of Othello, mm-hmm. Lawrence Olivier. Yes. In, in Blackface. In Blackface. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. 1965. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, um, remember, 1965, not quite that long ago. Um, of course, like I said, is an adaptation of Othello, um, which historically, it's, we, we talked about, the, about that story of... Lawrence Olivier, who actually, you know, considered one of the great actors of stage as well as film, um, was trying to get all of these Shakespearean films um, produced. He played Othello in blackface. He also adopted an exotic accent of his own invention, (laughs) developed a special walk, and learned how to speak in a voice considerably deeper than his normal one. He had a special Negro walk. <laughs> um, one particular thing about this film, which caused distinctive amounts of offense, was Olivier's rolling of his eyes, a mannerism often shown in early depictions of black people in blackface mm-hmm. films. This device specifically links to Al Jolson um, and is unconnected and kind of took people out of the film as if you couldn't be taken out already by Lawrence Olivier in blackface. I have tried to watch this movie. I, I can't do it. Yeah. Well, you know, Othello 
is so fascinating to me in American film history because, you know, Paul Robeson famously uh, played Othello on stage. Yes. All throughout Europe and, you know, here and there Mm -hmm. in America. But because of social mores, it was actually illegal for black people and white people to appear in certain ways together. And we've talked about this with the first um, imitation of life. Yes. Where, where they kind of um, have, and I just forgot the actress's name. Freddie Washington. Freddie Washington. Freddie Washington. Where yeah. Freddie Washington can't even be in certain scenes. Yes. With white actors. So that Paul Robinson people, you know, for years it was rumble rumble. They should film for Paul Robinson, but he couldn't make the film. I know. And it, it, when they, the first adaptation of Othello in the fifties, I think 1951 is, uh, uh, is it Orson Welles? Yeah. Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson Welles. Yeah. Orson Welles. You know, here's the thing. You're a Shakespeare guy. I mean, if there's not a Shakespeare guy in the room, do you like Othello? The I story? Othello. I love Othello. So you know, well, when I think when I when I think of when I think of Othello, I think of two things: one, the play, and the many times that I've seen that staged, uh, and then and then I think of Lawrence Fishburne's uh, Othello. I was just about um, to say uh, that. from 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 uh, Oliver Parker's film from the late nineties, yeah, nineties, yeah, uh, which was which and 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 Lawrence really kills it. In, I agree. In, in a, That's him with Kenneth uh, Brodner, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, Irene Jacob and uh, and so though well, I think so I, I I don't I don't spend much time with, with thinking about Lawrence Olivier's Othello for all of the reasons that you just named or even for that matter Orson Welles although I will give Orson Welles credit that he he did some stage plays featuring actually actual black people mm-hmm. um, um, uh, um, um, uh, for doing doing various different forms of Shakespeare although he he was set in the islands and things like that. Um, um, Sort of adulterated a little bit. So, generally speaking, if I'm thinking of Othello, I'm 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 thinking of a stage play that I've seen. Every stage play that I've ever seen of Othello, and and you know, so like maybe we're we're starting in, in like the middle seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, the the actor playing Othello was black. Um, yeah, right, um, right. Um, uh, so off Broadway in New York, or on Broadway in New York, or or black rep theater in St. Louis, you know, black rep. So actual black people playing the black character, and then Lawrence. The only white guy I get to is, is you know, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, and, the only, and then the only is Lawrence Olivier. And, and you know, to me, that's a, it's an artifact. It's just this bizarre artifact. Exactly. Um, uh, and, and I have to set it aside as an artifact. I still think that it's, an incor- that it's incorrect. It's a horrible mistake because in 1965, there were a number yes. of venerable black actors who could have played that role in Absolutely. that movie. And uh, and you know and Lawrence could have directed it or something like that, but mm-hmm. um, uh, but a number of, of uh, uh, Harry Belafonte. We were going to talk about Harry Belafonte in nineteen sixty five. Othello would have been great for Harry Belafonte. I mean, hell, Paul Harris from Up All Night could have actually played Othello. I think just to, to put a bow on the Othello talk, I'm fascinated by the early twentieth century film history of Othello because you have this great tension in sort of the white psyche Mm. where white people love Shakespeare. Like they love Shakespeare, but they also love racism. Mm -hmm. So it's like they, they just sort of, you get this great budding of heads in the early 20th century of, Oh, I love Shakespeare, but I also love racism (laughs) and I can't put them together. Yeah. And like a Reese's peanut butter cup. 
Well, like I want to. Well, Oreo in the early. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, now we're going to number one. Number one. This is a movie that I actually was not aware of. Okay. This also came out in 1967, the same year as Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, and written and directed by a name that that has appeared more than a few times here on the Michelle Mission. One Melvin Van Peoples. Oh, the oh, story Mel- of the three-day pass. The story oh, of yeah. the three-day pass. Oh, mm-hmm. Adapted uh, from his own novel. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, which was called uh, Le Permission. Uh, it stars Harry Baird as a black American soldier who was demoted for fraternizing with a white shop clerk, one Nicole Berger, while in France. Along with writing and directing the film, Van Peoples collaborated on its score, of course. Of course. With Mickey Baker and actually sings one of the two songs for the film, When My Number Gonna Hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it premiered in 1967 at the San Francisco International Film Festival and was one of se- the selections for the Cannes Classics section in 2020. Now, it sounds like the two of you are both familiar with this film. Mm-hmm. I was not aware of this film yeah. at all. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? Well, I, yeah, yeah, I love the, I love, I love the film, and it, and it, and it speaks. Melvin, when did Melvin pass? What two, three years ago, or something like that? Yeah, not yeah. that long ago. Um, um, uh, uh, Melvin passed, and it, and it speaks to the nature of um, what was going on in the late '60s in America. Melvin Van Peebles wants to be a filmmaker, did not act <laughs> right. He splits, like had happened a couple of generations before him. Very important um, uh, black artist. Uh, trying to make their way in America that didn't want them. And what did they do? They split. They go to where? They go to they go very often to, to, to France, to Paris, right. where, where they are embraced, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, it, it, which is also kind of complicated because at the exact same time that they were, that these black Americans, African-Americans were being embraced in Paris from Josephine Baker forward. Um, Africans in Paris from Algeria and Morocco and other places were not being embraced. That's right. That's right. Uh, right. Right. So you have this very, very sort of complicated dynamic. Nevertheless, uh, this is where, uh, it, after teaching himself to speak French, uh, Melvin strikes out on his on his path to become the filmmaker that he wants to be, and if, it, it's where he shapes the dynamic that we will see henceforth in his career. Sweet, sweet back and, and, and uh, 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 the watermelon man watermelon and everything man, else yeah. that, he, that he does across the arc of the rest yeah, of his career. Cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like uh, sort of to, to go parallel to Tim. I like the story of the film more than the film itself. Like I like the film, but what I really like is, is Melvin Van Peebles journey to making the film. And like, right. to, to like this is the beginning okay. of the legend. Of uh, the legend of yeah. Melvin mm-hmm. Van Peebles. Okay, yeah. all right, cool. I have to check it out. In 2020, Richard Brody of New Yorker described the story of a three-day pass as being among the great American films of the 60s. Mm. Okay, so I have to, I have to check that out. I look forward to um, pulling that card here on the mission. It is in that great um, Melvin Van Peebles box set that Criterion put out a few years ago. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, so oh, cool. All right. Well, that is our top five, ladies and gentlemen. Right. We hope you enjoyed that. And now, prepare Tim to be dazzled. Because right now, we are going to play 
The Game of Kings. Game of Kings. Otherwise known as Six Degrees of Derville Martin. That's the key. Degrees of Derville Martin, ladies and gentlemen, where I will give an actor to Vincent, and he, in six movies or less, will have to connect them to 70s heartthrob Derville Martin. Derville Martin. Everybody's favorite actor. Everyone loves Derville Martin. Everybody loves him. The white ladies, the black ladies, the Asian ladies, all of the ladies. All the ladies. It's something about the accent. In the mustache. There you go. All right. So, Vincent. Yes, sir. Keep it in theme. Okay. Thematic. 100 Rifles stars Jim Brown. Yes, it does. Who in, in, uh, took on acting after leaving a Hall of Fame NFL career. Yes, yes, yes. So, I have two actors for you. Yes. Who took to acting. Yes. After... Leaving football careers. After leaving football players turned actors. One, a Hall of Fame NFL player. One, an NFL player. Okay, both NFL players, however. Yes. Number one. Number one. Well, let me ask you. Yes. Do you want the Hall of Famer or just the ball player? Let's start with the Hall of Famer. Let's start with the Hall of Famer. Let's start with the Hall of Famer. Who would be number one? And that would be Bubba Smith. Bubba Smith. Well, see, this is how you get to Bubba Smith. Do you know who Bubba Smith is? I know exactly who Bubba Smith is. Okay. And I'm going to tell you how I'm going to get to Bubba Smith because... No pressure, but Tim is looking at you. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about it too. I'm working. We, we, we're trying to. We're, we're trying to connect the Bubba, Bubba Smith back to Derville, or Derville yeah. up to Bubba. Is what this we're is doing, how you, right? This is how you do it. So, Derville Martin. Mm-hmm. I know my connective tissue. I'm. I'm really trying to finish. That's the thing. My connective tissue. Because two of the people that I want to connect them to spent most of their time on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get there, though. No, no, no. I can definitely get there. Because Bubba Smith is in all of the Police Academy movies. That's true. Oh. With Steve Gutenberg. That's right. And Steve Gutenberg uh-huh. is in Three Men and a Baby. That's right. With, let me see, the three men is Steve Gutenberg, Ted Danson. Uh, Ted Danson and uh, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. That's right. Which was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. I didn't know that, but that doesn't help me. So, Steve Gutenberg is in Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, which which of the other men you going to go with? 
Oh, yeah. yeah, it gets rough. It does get rough. I'm trying to make the connection too. The, see, you can pull. I know you're saying because you're saying Tom Selleck and Ted Danson are mostly on TV. Ted Danson did do a couple of movies. He did, and I feel like Ted Danson did the a the, the the Onion Field. Uh, Ted, 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 and he's also in Body Heat. Yes, who's he in Body Heat with? William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kathleen Turner gets you to Mike Douglas. I was about to say he's in Body Heat with Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner is in Romancing the Stone. With Danny DeVito. Yeah, something told me you was going to go Danny. How many have I done now? (laughs) So what do I have? I've I've got Gutenberg, Danson, Turner, Turner, DeVito. DeVito. So I only have two more. Yeah. See, now now you got to go black. (laughs) So where does DeVito get you to black? It, I can get DeVito to black, but I can't get, see. It's the who's the black. Right, right. Oh. I get DeVito to Schwarzenegger, <laughs> and Schwarzenegger gets me to lots of black, but not Derville Martin. But isn't DeVito, is DeVito in DC County? No. Danny DeVito. Shit, because he's in Batman Returns, but Billy D. Williams is not in Batman Returns. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't that... First of all, let me ask you two questions. Is Danny DeVito in DC Cab? No. Is he in Car Wash? No. No. Shit. Then the other only other thing I'm thinking about is what else is Steve Gutenberg in? Uh, Besides Three Men and a Baby in Police Academy. He's in um what's him call it? What's the movie with the old people? The old people. Uh, is cocoon? he in Cocoon? Cocoon. Because he's one of their grandchildren or something. That Mm -hmm. is Steve Mm -hmm. Gutenberg. Okay. Let me go back then. Bubba Smith is in Police Academy. With Steve Gutenberg. With Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg is in Cocoon with, what's your girl's name from Driving Miss Daisy? Oh, Jessica Tandy. Uh, um, Jessica, uh, Jessica Tandy. Jessica Tandy. Jessica Tandy is, of course, in Driving Miss Daisy. With Morgan Freeman. With Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman. Is in Glory with Denzel Washington. You're about mm-hmm. to run out. And I'm going to run out. Mm-hmm. You're going to run out. I See, I think, the, why do I think DeVito... Is there is there a blackface in um, Cuckoo's Nest? I don't remember. No, Native American, no, not a no brother. Louise Fitch, Louise Fletcher's in Cuckoo's Nest. Jack Nicholson's mm-hmm. in Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Okay, but Devito is two back because that's so that's Gutenberg. Here's the thing: that dude that makes the mouth noises is in something else too. And I was trying to remember what he was in. Yeah, but he ain't going to be in nothing that you're going to remember who else is in. 
What else is Bubba Smith in besides the Police Academy movies? I mean, he did eight of them. Like six of them. Right. Like, he's not... Okay. What else is Bubba Smith in besides the Police Academy movies? He... Bubba Smith is in all the Police Academy movies. He's one of the few people that are in all of them. He is also in... Wow, he is the star of Down and Dirty, When Cops Go Bad. Um, He's also in... Something called The Coach from 2004. He's in Full Clip. I think these have got to be like direct-to-video movies. Like the bulk of his stuff is like the right, Police Academy right. movies. So it really is Steve Gutenberg who's the one. Yeah. And what else is Gutenberg in? Well, he got you to Cocoon. Got you to Cocoon. Gets me to Cocoon. Well, how do we get to DeVito? Wilfred Brimley? <laughs> yeah. Or Don Amici? See, the only thing I know about Don Amici is them old-timey movies. No, you don't. Cocoon. No, you don't. Think about it. Don, Don Amici. Don Amici is, is in... Um, He's in uh, Trading Places trading with Eddie Murphy and He's Danny one of the old men. Don Amici is in Trading Places. Tim, why didn't you tell me Don Amici was in Trading Places? <laughs> it just came to it, brother. <laughs> Bubba Smith gets you to Steve Gutenberg, gets you to Don Amici, gets you to Eddie Murphy, gets you to Leonard Jackson, gets you to Derville Martin. There you go. There you go. Five movies. Okay. Don Amici. Give me the other one. I'll do it real quick so we can do the review. <laughs> okay. You think you can do this one quick? I can do this one you quick. You got to tell everybody who Leonard Jackson is. Leonard Jackson plays the father in Five on the Black Hand Side. He also Thank plays. You. He also plays the chemist in um, Boomerang. Yeah, uh, that Strong J throws the panties on. Which is which is why you get that's how you get your, that's how you get your Eddie Murphy. That's how you all right. Yeah, all right. And if you want to see Leonard Jackson in Five on a Black Hand Side, ladies and gentlemen, you can join the Michelle Mission, where we will be screening Five on the Black Hand Side at the Bryn Mawr Film Fest uh, Film Institute. Excuse me, on Wednesday, July nineteenth. Tickets are on sale right now. You can go to MichelleMission.com, hit events, grab grab yourself a seat. All right? And I am bringing pretzel bites. Yes. All right. (laughs) Give me them real quick. See if I can do it real quick. Okay. This one's going to be hard. Well, let's see. Terry Crews. Oh, Terry Crews. Um, Yeah. Derville Martin. Is in um oh and we'll 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 keep it here. Derville Martin is in in Hell Up in Harlem with Fred Williamson. Fred Williamson is in Three the Hard Way with Jim Brown. Jim mm-hmm. Brown is in um I'm gonna get you sucker with Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans is in White Girls with Terry Crews. Sounds clean. Wow, Vincent. I just I was just looking at his his uh, filmography and yeah. White Girls just came up. Oh. Yeah, very good, Vincent. There I am go. I am clean. impressed. There you it go, was got clean. You. Yeah, I mean after Rosie Greer, I mean, Rosie Greer. I wish it was. Rosie <laughs> Greer. I, I wish it was, I wish Rosie, it was Greer. Rosie Greer. Yeah, <laughs> I wish it was right. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't go. I couldn't. That yeah. would have been too easy. Yeah, after Bubba Smith. Yeah, very good. All right, Ro- all right. with Rosie Greer, I, all you have to do is look at any given episode of The Love Boat, yeah. and you. And you can make yourself pretty much out to anybody, probably out to me. 
Right, about right. What did I just see Rosie Greer in? Oh, he's in one of the air airport movies. Okay. Yeah, he's in one of the airport movies. Maybe the first one, maybe the first or second one he's in. Right, because OJ is in Towering Inferno. Yes, OJ's in Towering okay. Inferno. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess. Air, air, airport, not airplane, airport. Right, yeah. airport. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, 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 not yes, to yes, be yes. confused with airplane. Right, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in airplane. Yes, mm-hmm. which is the better film. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Well, how'd you like that, uh, Tim? <sighs> I love it. I love it. I was nervous and sweating over here. I didn't think we were going to make it. I'm like, yo, oh Lord, <laughs> Dermot <laughs> Martin, how are we going to get there? But hey, every both that, nailed it. There you go. Who's a, who's black in Poseidon Adventure? Now I'm thinking about all the great disaster films. The black person <laughs> in it. Who's a black person in Poseidon Adventure? Speaking I don't know. But they didn't Shelley make it. Winters. I don't think. That, I, don't, I can't think of any. There are no black people in the Poseidon Adventure. I'm sure I there's someone. That's- I don't mind. I, if, if there had been, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have lasted five minutes. That's right, because we weren't getting on that boat. No, we <laughs> no. saw that boat and said, nah, "I know you. I know you that. Negroes don't think you're making it out of here. We're not doing that. <laughs> you, know. you catch us in a building and an airport and an airplane, <gasps> mm-hmm. but not on a boat. Not on not on a boat. Right. Yeah, we don't do that. All right, very, All right. very good, Vincent. All right, let's get into our review, ladies and gentlemen, of 100 Rifles. We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. has a message. Watch out! Watch out for 100 rifles. Watch out for Jim Brown. What is your name? I'm Lyndecker. Policeman. Watch out for... Raquel Welch. I am your woman for as long as you want to be. Watch out for Burt Reynolds. You saw all them engines hung up like a side of a beef? After all the trouble we went through to get them rifles? Look, I spent 15 years in the 9th Cavalry, keeping the law and chasing bad Indians. But this one ain't my business, it ain't my fight, and it ain't my job. We should have killed him. Watch out for Fernando Lamas. Mr. Sheriff, by the time I'm through with you, you'll be ready to tell me everything I want to know. Jim Brown and Raquel Welch, two of the hottest stars today, trigger the screen's most explosive action. I'm sorry you got mixed up in this. 
You ain't half as sorry as me. They destroy an army. Sabotage a train. They capture a town. They fight with every dirty trick in the book. And they're the heroes of this picture. 100 rifles, ladies and gentlemen, a 1969 American Western. Directed and co-written by Tom Grease and starring Jim Brown, Raquel Welch, and Burt Reynolds in a movie based on Robert McLoy's 1966 novel, The California. The film was shot in, Smith, in Spain and features a music score by the Academy Award-winning Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, in this film, Jim Brown plays an Arizona lawman named Lidecker, who chases Yaki Joe, a half Yaki, half white bank robber played by Burt Reynolds, who has stolen $6,000 that he has used to buy guns for um, for a, uh, a Yaki people who are being repressed by the government in the form of a of a General Verduga, played by one Fernando Lamas. Yes. Uh, Which is certainly his real name. <laughs> Raquel Welch plays the leader of the, the, um, the oppressed people as they are fighting for their freedom in this Western that was brought to the mission by our guest, Tim Cogshell. One, in, in commemoration of Jim Brown, but also because I think Tim secretly loves this film. Tim, what have you to say of 100 Rifles? Well, I really am a big, big fan of, of, of 100 Rifles. When we first started talking, thank you, for, first of all, guys, for inviting I said it already, but thanks for having me. I really, really deeply appreciate it. I, I really love uh, what you guys are doing and talking about these movies. And, and yes, 100 Rifles is a film that I, that, that I do deeply appreciate. Uh, and we were talking about because uh, Harry Belafonte had died just just a little bit before Jim mm-hmm. uh, uh, and we were going to do Odds Against Tomorrow, which I hope we, we, we get a chance to talk about it sometime in the future. Uh, uh, and then Jim passed and and, uh, and and boom, 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 100 rifles. And for a couple of different reasons, because, in fact, Raquel Welch had passed not too long before Jim. February. Yeah. And, 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 and between Jim and Raquel and to a certain extent, Burt Reynolds, but certainly Jim and Raquel in this movie. Raquel, who sometimes we forget, is uh, is Latin American. Raquel mm-hmm. is Mexican, uh, actually Mexican, you know, uh, in and uh, uh, Castilian, but 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 a Mexican woman. And Jim Brown, you know, a brother from the United States. They're 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 representing and doing things in this movie that were simply out of place in time for 1969, or or, or be, perhaps beginning to be in place in time in 1969. Right. Jim Brown representing the law. Uh, as a black man uh, coming to bring back this criminal, Raquel Welch, representing really the heart and soul of this movie, an actual freedom fighter. She's the she's the most sincere person in, in the, the movie. movie. Absolutely. Yes. She's the bravest person in the movie. 
and 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 uh, and and while she her her sexuality is unequivocally engaged in the film, the character she's playing is one that she always said was one of her favorite characters to play, Sarita. Uh, this this young fighter. At the beginning of this film, the very first thing she has to do, um, her fa- her and her father have been captured. And they're going to hang her daddy, uh, and they do. They 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 they, they, they hang her daddy, and he's dying slow. So she leaps on her daddy's body, hanging from that tree, and pulls him down as hard as she can, so she can break his neck yeah, and give him the yeah. quick death. Put that him he out has of his misery. Right. That's how brave she is in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and, 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 and then we have this movie that's really about that. What's interesting in this movie is really just really only a couple of uh, one significant white character in this movie. You yeah. got that uh, that 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 colonel mm-hmm. uh, or general, I think he is being played by uh, Eric Braden, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Front. He's Lieutenant right, Front. Right, the, the German uh, colonel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the advisor. The advisor. General. There to advise. Uh, and uh, and then you got this guy uh, O'Hurley, who works for the railroad. Yeah, uh, who's wandering around uh, there, you know, doing you know, taking sides as sides come, which is which is an interesting sort of commentary on America. Yes, you know? mm-hmm. yes, we're doing there. But other than that, this is a fairly internecine battle between these peoples of color. Mm-hmm. This Mexican general, uh, these Jackie Indo- Indians. Uh, and this black man from the United States sent down there who's going to have to pick a side. Um, and one of the things that he does uh, uh, is he, he picks the side of the oppressed against the uh, side of the authority. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a thing that's going on in this movie because because the authority isn't white folks. The authority is that Mexican general riding around that Cadillac. Right. That's right. That's right. Amen. That's right. Amen. Um, what, what do you think? I have to say about this film. I think that the the thing that struck me the most about this film was how straightforward the narrative was. Okay, with this 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 character that Jim Brown plays, and you you know, as Tim pointed out, this conflict between these two sides in Mexico, where where you know, within the context of westerns, Mexico was a a. a was a place that they use a lot, a location mm-hmm. they, as this sort of lawless, quote unquote, area. Yeah. And I think what I l- love so much about Jim Brown as this character, Lansing, Lydecker. I'm sorry, Lydecker, is race is acknowledged, but it doesn't define the way this character is shaped. Mm-hmm. And used in this film, like I know, it's the very first shot you get of him. You get this wonderful heroic shot. You know, it's like the angle from below. He's got the sun behind him, yeah, and yeah. he's just riding into town. He's riding into town in this cowboy mode. Mm-hmm. And then the film, you know, as I said, there are no real surprises in the film. Like, like. Like, you know, Burt Reynolds plays this scoundrel mm-hmm. with a heart of gold. You know, Raquel Welch, again, plays this freedom fighter. They're, 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 they're going against these antagonists that are, are pretty one note. Yeah. Bad yeah. guys. Yeah. But again, when you put Jim Brown in this role, especially in 1969, you know, as you said, during the top five, this kind of notion of a fully actualized fully sexualized black man 
mm-hmm. is not one you see that often. And technically, you know, not even technically, this is before black exploitation. Yeah. So to have Brown play this role, <clears throat> you know, a couple of years after the split, yep. which we've talked about before, I thought was great. Having said that, I did like what I thought was a sort of subtle commentary of, of you know, imperialism, mm-hmm. of, of the role of business. Like, like, I really have to say, I thought it was an okay film. I liked it. I liked it. But the last couple of scenes where you realize that the railroad is still intact, mm-hmm. not only is it intact, but that uh, American character is already maneuvering already to set up Burt Reynolds' character as the new representative. Mm-hmm. To get things back in to line. Get things back. And it was like all these people really died for nothing. Right. Because you can't stop this. Nope. So that, you know, I, I liked it. You I, know, like, I really like this film. I like that part. I like that kind of button on the movie. Uh-huh. Um, I really enjoyed that that commentary. Right. And and exactly the way that it played out, because all along, you know, if this movie's done in the 70s or 80s, the Dan O'Hillary character, the kind of like white nebbish guy, railroad dude, <laughs> he he's got a bullet three ways. Three, sure. Three, you know, you know, partway through the movie. So you're just waiting for the bullet to come. So the fact that he is still alive at the end is just another commentary on. Nope, can't stop. Can't stop this. You can't, you can't stop. Yeah. Can't stop America because we're gonna get America going. America, right? That's what America gonna do. You know what I mean? Um, so I did like that button on it. I liked. You know, this is my first time. This is actually my first time with, when Tim told us about the movies. It was some, I, my introduction to this movie. Right. Well, you've seen that picture. I've that seen Jim the, Brown, Raquel Welch. I've seen that picture, but yeah. I never knew where it came from. Got I just you. saw Got you. you know because as we have mentioned before. Raquel Welch is the sex symbol of this moment. Absolutely. Right? And and not only is she the sex symbol of this moment, she is redefining the sex symbols at this moment because this is after the time when Hollywood had to was uh in search of the new blonde to take over Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. So this is after Kim Novak. Mm-hmm. This is after Anne Margaret mm-hmm. and and Raquel Welch, who never shied away from her sexuality, but always fought very hard to make sure that she could put forth her acting first. And is this before or after Twiggy? This is after. I think this is after Twiggy. Right. Twiggy's so then, like mid sixties. So then that's too. the other thing. Raquel Welch. Fills out a uniform a bit more than Twiggy. Well, amen. Yeah, that yeah. period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amen. Amen. And like, and and so, so when I've all, always saw that picture, and we mentioned Jim Brown, not not far removed from the NFL, still almost in plain shape. You know, when you <laughs> when you see the man, the man, the man is like Burt Reynolds. Even joked like, if you want this movie to sell. Get Raquel to take off her shirt, Jim to take off his shirt, and I'll just do all the lines. They needed to. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be funny. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they needed to get a Clydesdale because it was too big for the horse. <laughs> I know bad for the horse. He made that twelve hundred pound horse look like a donkey. <laughs> he looked, it looked like so he was true. riding Eeyore. Right. 
But so, so, so those two are like two of the, you know, most electrifying, you know, people, you know, images, yeah, absolutely. you know, in, in the 60s. So every time I saw that photo, I'm thinking like, oh, that's from some kind of magazine shoot. Sure. So none of even imagined that it was from, you know, for a movie. And I like the movie. It's interesting. Burt Reynolds is the third lead in this movie. He had already filmed four films, mm-hmm. but none of them had been released yet. Mm-hmm. So he's coming into this. Raquel Welch even mentioned she didn't even know who he was. Mm. Um, he he comes into this still off of TV fame, right? Mm-hmm. So and and he's got the chops, but from the door when the the camera hits him, you can see. Burt Reynolds was made for the big screen. Mm-hmm. He just fills up the screen with his charisma, his charm, even in this very complicated, you know, half-breed character that he's playing. He's still, like you said, he leans on the Alabama daddy yes. part of it. Yes. Um, and then just has fun with the with the film. Raquel Welsh, the most serious person in this movie. Um, she is she. She is in actor mode. She definitely plays up her sexuality as the script asks her to, um, but on her own terms, God bless her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, she's an actress first. Mm-hmm. The problem with this film, to me, is Jim Brown. Because Jim Brown definitely has the the... The presence, the presence, right? That is that is called for in this role, right? And just by his presence and by being this black man, fully allowed to be um, experienced sexually on screen, because there's <laughs> plenty of scenes where he does not have his shirt on or his arms are, you know, he's flexing. Um, so he's fully sexualized on the on the screen. But when he is asked to act, when he is asked to build or show charisma or chemistry with with Raquel Welsh, I think it is at that moment where his his lack of skill as an our training as an actor betrays him. And he, there is no chemistry between them. Um, he even mentions that, and maybe to a degree, rightfully so, because of the times in which this film is made, him being cautious about how he uh, interacts with her. Sure. And both of them are married at the time. Both of they them make married. Point of talking about that. Both of them married. So he's definitely being being careful about how he is interacting with her. On camera as well as um, behind the camera. Um, But, and that caution, I think, gets in the way of his performance. Mm -hmm. And I think that is where the film lets down. Because, like I said, Burt Reynolds fills the screen but because those two are the, are the leads, they have more than enough opportunities to also make their presence felt on the screen. When 
Jim Brown is with Burt, you feel he's more comfortable because he's bouncing off of Burt. Mm -hmm. But even then, he's bouncing off of Burt Reynolds. There's not too many people who can like just match Burt Reynolds line for line, charisma, charisma on screen. And Jim Brown, he's got the presence, but he ain't matching Burt, right? Um, and then when he's up against um, Raquel Welsh, because Raquel is acting in a entirely different movie, and Jim doesn't, I feel, doesn't have the chops to know exactly where to direct his energies. I think their energy is a little bit off. And then the person that I don't, and I read like about five reviews of this film, nobody talks about. I myself was enjoying Fernando Lamas in this movie <laughs> because, dude, dude, dude just was effortlessly just the most scoundrel of scoundrels. And I loved him on the movie and he was chewing up the scenery yeah. every time he was on the screen. And the only one who could was um, enjoying the meal with him was Burt Reynolds. Yeah. So to me, Jim Brown, and I don't say it often because I love him in the split, love him in the dirty dozen, love him in most everything he does. But in this film, I feel he he's, He's miscast. If I can jump in. Yo, jump. I don't disagree with any of that analysis. I think there's a reason for some of it. Some of it has to do with, I don't know, the, the, the few movies that Jim had been in uh, prior to this had all been boy movies. Uh, yeah. um, you know, Dirty I, I, Dozen. I, Dirty Dozen. Just all these boy movies, you know, uh, where, where he was solid playing, playing more or less Jim Brown. Occasionally they would even make him run. You know, I think he has to run in Dirty Dozen. You know, that was a yeah. big thing yeah. about him. He didn't make him run. Uh, and these movies. And then we have him in this movie um, with, with, with Bert and Raquel. And directed by Tom Grease. Now, I like Tom Grease, but Tom Grease isn't uh, John Ford. I think we talked about John That's Ford right. yeah. when we first started yeah. this for some reason. Tom Grease isn't John Ford. I love him. Uh, but, you know, Tom Grease was, 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 was the guy that came off directing all kinds of television from, yes, from, yeah, from Mission yes, Impossibles yeah. to Batman. So he was, he was a journeyman, the man from Uncle Combat, you know, journeyman television director. That's right. Uh, uh, um, uh, and, 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 and that's solid. But, but from that, what you don't get is the sort of Martin Ritt sophistication that can engage an actor, particularly you know, a, fairly, a fairly nascent actor like Jim Brown. And, and help them get to that performance that you're talking about, that much more subtle performance that needed to happen between him and uh, and uh, and Raquel Welch. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, 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 the one moment where he achieves the thing that's missing in, in, in most of their interactions is in is in the moment where he is going to rape her. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, take her, rape her. Uh, and she stops him. Uh, she is in control of that scene. She's in control of that moment. Uh, and, and she simply stops him by saying, not like this. Yes. And then there's this long pause. Jim, he, 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 he deflates from this beast of a man, becomes a human in that mm -hmm. moment. And, they, and it's a beautiful, beautiful moment, wonderfully done. He, he achieved it. The director achieved it. Uh, Raquel achieved it. I kind of I credit that moment to Raquel. Yes. But, 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 but it suggests that, there's a, that there, there was a capability here. But, you know, there's a director in a movie for a reason. That's true. <laughs> and, That's true. And, 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 yeah, and the director, hey, Jim, come over here. Now, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you don't want to be the guy that's telling Jim. You're not, you're not, <laughs> you're not getting there. <laughs> In this scene, 
Uh, maybe you don't want to be that guy, but 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 there is something that's called for there. And then there's another thing that's going on in this movie too. too. Um, so this is only a few years off. I think '58 was uh, Tony Curtis in uh, in Sydney Portier. Defiant there. ones, yeah. Thank you. Uh, and all and all the criticisms that came with that, the sort of dynamic uh, that was going on between Tony Curtis and, and Sidney Poitier and whether or not Sidney Poitier sort of sacrificed himself mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. that movie for the white guy. Jim Brown didn't want to play any of that. He no. wanted to be doing what he was doing. I'm here to collect this money or this person who is worth this money. And right. that is all that I'm doing. That is it. And that is all. I don't really care what you white folks are doing. I don't care what you Mexicans are doing. I don't care what you Indians are doing. <laughs> this is what that's I'm right. doing. Exactly. And that's kind of what he's doing all the way through that movie. To me, to the detriment of both character and movie, I, I felt like there needed to be a moment in that movie. And, I can, and you could put your finger right on it. You're right about Burt Reynolds playing that Alabama, that half-breed, because he knows where Jim Brown is from. Yeah. The movie set in 1912. Mm-hmm. Uh, and knows the life that Jim Brown has led. And he knows one of the reasons why he is where he is is because they didn't treat me no better than they treated you. Bruh. That's right. Mm-hmm. So really, bro, <laughs> seriously, why don't you cut it out with all this lawman? Yeah, crap? Dog. Right, exactly. <laughs> Come on, dog. Saddle up over here with us. And it takes far too long, um, in my opinion, for, for that dynamic to happen in the movie. Jim, mm-hmm. Jim Brown's character is playing that singular note. Yeah, uh, and 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 I and I need I would have liked to have seen much more refined thinking on the part of his character, um, and and and, uh, and 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 have him come to to some sort of decision about what they're doing uh, that had something to do with other than I'm still taking you back, yeah, right. you know, now nah, right. that's that's that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on all of that. Some of it owes to the actual narrative of the script. These are the words that I've been given to say, <laughs> you know, uh, and some of it owes to you know a really good director is a hell of a thing. Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think to to your point, back to the end, which <clears throat> fascinated me for a couple of reasons besides the 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 ongoing existence of the the train. I thought it's setting up Jim Brown as this classic cowboy figure mm-hmm. that goes off into the sunset. I felt a little bit of the artifice of the script that Raquel Welch's character dies off screen, oh, off screen, but worst moment, worst dynamic, worst issue of the film. I didn't know. I didn't know how deeply we went into spoilers on the show. I'm glad yeah. you, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, no, glad we you spoil. Brought. Yeah. Oh, but you, it is, it is, it, it, it is my biggest peeve of that show that the heroine of the film, the bravest character, mm-hmm. the one true freedom fighter, dies off screen in yes. that character unheralded only held in the arms of the probably the only man who really actually loved her uh uh in that movie and it um ah, it burns me it burns me but you get the sense they wanted to situate jim brown's character so he could ride off into the sunset mm-hmm. and if raquel welch is alive then he, he doesn't ride off. Right, he doesn't ride off. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, it kind of speaks to, you know, people, they talk about cowboy movies, and you have these two great, the, the, these two great sort of conflicting factors that cowboys have to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's like civilization, oftentimes, again, represented by railroad tracks. Yeah, yeah. And domesticity, mm-hmm. represented by these women. Mm-hmm. So... If Jim Brown and and Jim Brown was very adamant about this, playing this classic cowboy character, 
if Jim Brown is going to ride off into the sunset, you know, you have that great kind of reversal where the, the scoundrel now becomes a bureaucrat. Yeah. But now we got to deal with Raquel Welch. Mm-hmm. So now we kill her and then he rides off into the sunset. But I think all of that kind of retroactively maybe speaks to what you're saying, where what, what I hear you saying is that in a lot of ways, and I keep calling him Lansing. Lidecker. <laughs> Lidecker. Lidecker. Lidecker is separate from everything. You know, as Tim said, the white people, the Indians, the Mexicans, I'm here for this. So I'm just sort of separate from all of it. Yeah. Which he tries to do. Yeah. Because when they when the townspeople start calling him like the, the colonel and stuff like general. that. General. The general. They start calling him the general. He's like, he's having none of that. Right. 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 Which which to me also is, is a perfect term. The artifice of the film. Because he hasn't done anything to deserve it. Right. right. He re- he's not really shown to be the... The hero, everything is super reluctant on his part. And even then, when he does do stuff, it's after Bert. So, like, <laughs> that's why Bert should actually be the, like, in their defense, around. it is Jim Brown. Like, he actually, you know, and, and, I, and I feel like that's right below the surface that they're reacting to him. Because he looks like this. Yeah. And, and he, and this, they're only, this, we learned they're their first. Black person, right? They've seen. Uh, well, well, fair. It's like he's dwarfing. Um, he's dwarfing the horses. He's, he's dwarfing Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds is not a small man. I know he was an ex-football player he, himself. Football, he's like five eleven. He played football, but you know, standing next to Jim Brown. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I my one note in this movie is that Jim Brown is the only man who I can. See on screen, hold two men in a headlock. <laughs> and they both drop. And I say, well, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My note along those lines, when Raquel Welch is taking the shower, fully oh clothed, but it still stops the train. Yeah. I said, yeah. Yeah, that. I, yeah, I see that. That tracks. Let's slow down. Let's slow the train down. <laughs> slow down. Let's slow down. Right. Oh my gosh! Oh man! It's a very, it's a very manly movie, uh-huh. uh, made in a time when when manly men made movies, when manly men did everything. The book is very manly, um, uh, and 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 uh, to the extent that it that you know, the novel or, or the film even considers some of the things that it's considering that, that it That's steps true. outside of some of the, the the tropes i mean you we started this conversation talking about uh, john wayne and john ford films and 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 the things that happened in those films vis-a-vis uh native americans and all this kind of stuff that didn't begin to step outside of the tropes they lived in the tropes mm-hmm. of the great uh western uh white western hero they lived in the tropes of the savage uh native they lived in all of those this one is uh, uh, taking at a minimum baby steps outside of those tropes. Yes, it is. Yeah, and the tropes of uh, of, <laughs> of what a woman can be. Is the woman still going to be ridiculously sexy? Yeah, um, but will she grab that rifle? Yes. Yeah. She will. <laughs> you know, that's new. That's new. That's new. But so, but what is also new? Um, talking about kind of like deconstructing and reconstructing the west, the western is the 
the black lawman, you know, chasing chasing down what for, for, you know, never mind the character, chasing down the white guy yeah. to bring back the the white guy. Yeah, that is that is one hundred percent new. And you you talk about like the nuance of their character about how you know Yaki Joe Burt Reynolds' character knows the the real life that uh Lidecker has lived and kind of like alludes to it. You know, like, man, you you do you doing this for two hundred dollars? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like just the nuance of that little that little conversation, that's new. Yeah. In nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. Right? In 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 a Western. Um it it almost like starts planting the seeds for Buck and the Preacher to come mm, later. Mm, mm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. Speaking of Buckner, something else that that we've talked about. This is, I, I think, it's sixty seven when all of the Man with No Name films come start. to start. You know, come to America. Okay, mm-hmm. so by sixty nine, you already have a sense that there's an audience that is receptive to something a little bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes with that as well. Yeah, so. they, they try to kind of like brand this as a spaghetti western because yeah. it is filmed in in Spain. Outside of it being filmed in Spain, this did not strike me. There's nothing, sp- and it, it Goldsmith tries to allude to it a little bit in some of the the music. Or yeah, mm. and aren't the spaghetti westerns in Italy? Some of them Italy, some of them some Spain. In Spain. Depends, some in Spain as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But, but th- this is not, this doesn't really, no. doesn't feel like it. I do like the music though. Well, I mean, oh, it's, well, well, it's, it's, it's really good, good work, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's banging. It's so. banging. So, but what we, the question bears, Tim, mm. would you recommend 100 Rifles? Oh, I, I I really really do, and and I, I it's it's the kind of movie that I show um, as a film professor to my students when we are uh, talking about you know certain kind of things, but and it's in the context of cinema as it relates to um, society uh, in in the given moment. I think this is one of the films that speaks to that. So yes, what I recommend as a film to watch because it's a pretty good action movie, mm-hmm. with a lot of shoot 'em ups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure, but don't don't sit down to watch. 100 rifles for that. No, mm-hmm. uh, sit down to watch 100 rifles to get a better understanding uh, about the nature of America as filtered through American cinema in 1969. Yeah. Uh, everything that you that, that we've been talking about. That's why you watch 100 rifles. Uh, when you're looking at 100 rifles, you're seeing stuff that you hadn't seen uh, much of, if any of, before in a movie. And it, so it tells you something about where America was. So uh, there were straight up civil rights oriented films being made in 1967, 68, 69, and, and would continue to be. Obviously, we're about to transition into the black exploitation cinema period uh, in the early 1970s. So, so this is a spot, too. So you got that Sidney Poitier spot. Look who's coming to dinner. <clears throat> Lilies of the field. All of that kind of stuff. Black cinema. The uh, 50s and early 60s, uh, 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 Patches of Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have this moment here, right, uh, 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 which includes this film and a few others. Uh, and then we have a- another little interesting transition that's about to come along, uh, which is going to give us films like Let's, let's, uh, let's Do It Again, Uptown Saturday Night, um, um, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> and, and Harry again uh, as we move. So this is the part 
of that march mm-hmm. through Black. It's an important spot, and all, not all of these. Um, uh, Thomasine and Bushrod is another yeah. one. Oh uh, yeah, Max Max Julian and the ridiculously beautiful. Oh my God. Um, uh, and I have issues with all of these films. I think it's important to talk about the issues as we have with all of these films, the sort of internecine race issues and <clears throat> gender issues and all that kind of stuff. But you have to do it in the context of understanding that all of this is a little fresh. All exactly. of it is a little. So if it didn't get it right, um, did bang on. That's OK. We're doing something new. Amen. Amen. What about you, Vincent? Yes. And almost for the exact same reasons. That Tim has said, I, I think there are better cowboy movies from this period, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason that you watch this film is because of the snapshot that it provides. And to speak to our specific conversations here on the Michelle Mission, you know, I'm fascinated by this bubbling that is going on right before Sweet Sweetback's badass song. So, you know, whether we're talking about something like this, whether we're talking about the other Jim Brown film that we love from this period, The Split, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about Cotton Comes to Harlem, like you have this little pocket of films that aren't black exploitation films, but you you see this energy mm-hmm. that in a couple of years, Melvin Van Peebles is going to harness and then everybody's going to build on top of that. Uh, along mm. those lines, I also think this is another uh, uh, another moment where you see how if there was no black exploitation period, Jim Brown would have been a certified leading man. Mm-hmm. Like like he would have been on this parallel path, as as Tim said, where where Sidney Poitier has his space. Jim, Brown's Jim Brown his, has his, his, his space, lane. And they are just on these, like he's an actual leading man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, would, so I would recommend it. Especially coming off of the split and this and regardless oh, the very, of what I think very of, next film, Tick, Tick, Tick. Yeah. Uh, which which, uh, which uh, I've uh, shortlisted, uh, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, it is Ralph Nelson. And, and, and to me, Tick, Tick, Tick lives right in that same spot as in the heat of the night. Uh, um, uh, it's not as it, the filmmaking isn't as crisp as the mm-hmm. Norman Jewish and Selma's pressure. Uh, but dude, uh, in terms of the narrative uh, of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, hey, uh, Jim Brown is knocking white folks out left and right in that movie. <laughs> Sydney only slaps that one judge. <laughs> well, well, it was I, great. It was great. I, you I loved think, it. I think you're right. I, I think the Jim Brown character has his own language. Yeah. Which is different than the City Portier characters' language, but they are, they do. I, I never thought about Tick 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 alongside um, in the, heat, in of the, the heat of the night. But but you're right. They you do have these two real parallel, you know these these black lawmen in these little towns mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how they kind of navigate those towns. And right, like Jim Brown is going to do it this way, Sidney Portier oh, yeah. is going to do it this way, and they both do it. Mm-hmm. They just do it like they do it. Yeah, yeah. Right uh, I would definitely recommend this this movie. Um, it is a snapshot of America in nineteen twelve, and also in nineteen sixty nine. About that. Um, Get on. 
it's also it's also I have I have a soft spot for Raquel Welsh. I was introduced to her first. Um, my my introduction to her actually was in the Three Musketeer movies. Okay, where oh, I yeah. thought that she was fabulous and funny mm-hmm. as hell. Um, and then when I've seen her in other things, I've always saw her like you know, obviously a very beautiful woman, but a person who strove to to be taken seriously, sure, as an actress. Um, so I I like that. I who can't like Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Um and and Jim Brown is he's a complicated man but he's a man yeah <laughs> and, I, and I like and I like some I like some Jim Brown and again I'm going to say watch this also for Fernando Lamas <laughs> because if you only know him from the joke that Billy Crystal made of him no Fernando Lamas was quite a man oh, yes yes yeah. indeed. Yeah, wonderful dramatic actor Fernando Lamas uh, w- was particularly in, in in his young career. He's in a lot of really great film noirs. Mm, yes. Uh, and, and as for this movie, if you look around, you'll see Lorenzo walking around that movie. He looks just like he's a little boy. He's about ten or twelve, uh, playing one of those playing one of those Jackie Indies uh, walking around. You'll see him. You look right at. There's a, he gets a close up, uh, and you look. You're like Lorenzo. <laughs> Wow. There you go. Another father-son duo. There you go. Now another reason. Once you know it, you can't not see them. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is great. That is fantastic. Well, there's our review of 100 Rifles, ladies and gentlemen. We we all agree that you should go check this out. Go check out this check out this film. You will be rewarded. You it is a good time. It's a fun, it's a fun little romp. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of action, like he like he mentioned. Uh, like Tim Tim mentioned, Tim Codshell, Tim, a film week on LAS yes. eighty six point three in Los Angeles, uh, doing the damn thing. Yes, thank you, my brother. I do want to <laughs> ask you though, um, because I know you do do the thing on on Elias, but I've got to ask, man, how did you become a actual synagogue? He, <laughs> it's just this. This is website. It's synagogues.com. It's these, these, I, I guess they put themselves as the pantheon of film critics. Yeah. And Tim is just sitting right there alongside hey. them. I think he has Dang. shown this past hour why he is. But how did you become one? Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Wade, Wade, the homie Wade, Wade Major, who's, who's one of my fellow film critics. Um, over at uh, Elias and in, in the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and the Critics Choice Association uh, and, and, and Wade, you know, put that whole thing together and synagogues was his choice. And I'm like, Wade, that's a little cocky. And he's like, I'm a little cocky. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, well, let's go, bro. <laughs> yes, yeah, because because Tim's big cocky. So <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go, Holmes. If you're rolling like that, I'm with you. So let's do it. And so that's what that's all about. Uh, and uh, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, um, we're trying to get together a sort of video podcasty kind of thing to do too. But at the moment, we have the uh, the, the the website and the podcast, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the podcast really, uh, we talk about DVDs and all this kind of stuff releases, uh, but mostly we chit chat around the way we are right now. You know, and then eventually we talk about some movies. There you but go. If, right, there you go. Tune in. Mostly yeah. we just sort of chit chatting about whatever <laughs> pops into our heads. That is cool, man. Yeah. That is, that is cool. Tim, if, 
I know we said it before, but thank you for your contribution Absolutely. to the class of 1989. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sitting with us to, today. And, Absolutely. And you know you're already booked. Yeah, I'll send you the link so we can book you for Odds Against Tomorrow. Absolutely. The Harry Belafonte film, which uh, I love. Vincent has yet to see it. Um, oh, see it, see it, see it. And when you watch it, keep in mind that Harry produced that movie. Yes. And he was only, he was only 29 years old. Okay. Yes. 29-year-old Harry Belafonte. We're going to do it my way, boys. That's Harry Belafonte, and I, I cannot wait to talk about it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it is the movie that changed my whole perspective on Harry Belafonte. It is so, it's such an amazing movie. Looking forward to it. Tim, thank you so much for yes. thank hanging you, out brother. with us. We're going to let you go before we sign off, man. But thank you, my brother. Thank you, gents. Thank you very much. I cannot wait to be with you again. Thank you. All right, man. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to talk to the Michelle Mission, follow the Michelle Mission, go to michellemission.com, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made, where you can hit swag and check out all of the cool designs that we have by way of our good friends at T Public. You can also follow the Michelle Mission on the Insta- uh, social media of your choice, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. At Michelle Mission on Facebook, you can join our Facebook group where the Michelle Missionaries get in and share all the latest news about movies and have polls and questions with one another. And we get in there and bug out with them. It's a whole lot of a whole lot of fun. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission on YouTube where you are watching us right now. YouTube.com slash at Michelle Mission. Subscribe. And also hit that bell so you can be notified of when we're going live and when we post up our short videos. We're editing all of our videos, editing the, the reviews to be separate and the Derva Martins and the top fives and putting all this content out there on the YouTube page just for you. And we couldn't do YouTube without the video content factory. Yes, sir. Philadelphia's premier podcast palace where we stream from look at this beautiful set look at this beautiful set this can be yours ladies and gentlemen go to videocontentfactory.com and get your own set because you can't have this set this is this is our set this is our, they got other sets they'll find they'll find another corner for you this is ours this is ours dylan this is ours okay you can't have dylan either you you, you can have devon we we, we got dylan all right. Um, and the Michelle Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. And oh, you thought I forgot. Leave us a voicemail. 215-867-9666. Leave us a voicemail. Tell us what's on your mind. Ask us a question. We'd love to hear from you. All right. All right. Next week, we will get to all of your emails. If you have an email that you've been waiting on to get to us, now's the time. Michelle Mission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Next week, here on the Michelle Mission, yes, along with the emails, and along with our top five and six degrees of Dervell Martin, we are going to be celebrating Black Music Month when we review Jimmy Cliff yes. in The Harder They Fall. Harder They Fall. Looking forward to that. No, not, not The Harder They Fall. The Harder They Come. Harder They Come. The Harder They Come. I apologize. Right, 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 right. right. 
next week here on The Michelle Mission. Until then, he's Vincent, I'm Len, and in parting, we say... So you when it's time to meet again? The Michelle Mission is produced by Len Webb and Vincent Williams and edited by Len Webb with co-production by Mo Poplar, music by Alexa Gold, and filmed at the Video Content Factory. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network.